Good morning. Again, I'm Marty Cates, the associate pastor here. You're looking in your bulletins and going, you don't look like Don Mountain. We just had that guy in Sunday school, and you don't look anything like him. That is true. I don't look like Don Mountain. Don was supposed to be here with us this morning, and I had a flight canceled, and they rescheduled him, and then that flight got about, you know, maybe a quarter of the way here, and they canceled some connecting flights, and so he, he didn't make it. So Sean called uh, yesterday. We made contact through the, the bat signal, and he said, hey, we got a, we got a situation. And, um, and then we played rock, paper, scissors, and I'm, I'm up here. <laughs> and so you'll never know if I won or lost. But it's Missions Month, and so we're going to continue uh, this morning with uh, that theme and, and, and of missions. Uh, we're not going to be uh, in um, John, where Adam is going to take us, so you're, the scripture listed there and, and, and the reading there is not, I'm going to follow along with what we're going to be in this morning. But we often think about missions and think about, you know, we've got to go, we've got to go, and we're sending a team because we understand that part of missions is to go, right? We, we, we know the Great Commission says go. There's, there's part of that, though, that it's, that's under the, the, the bigger umbrella of the mission of God's people because it's, it comes out of a response to something great. And so we're going to look this morning in the book of Nehemiah at, at God's people's response to God's grace, to God's faithfulness, uh, to get a, a picture of what is the mission of God's people and so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. We'll be in Nehemiah chapter 9, the last verse, and then into chapter 10. So Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 38. Because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 1. On the seals are the names of Nehemiah, the governor, the son of Hakaliah and Zedekiah, and then skipping down to verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his rules and statutes. We will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God, according to our Father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of, of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and our cattle as it is written in the law and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions and the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priest, to the chambers of the house of our God and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground 
for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites. And when the Levites receive the tithes, and the, Le- and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers, where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is God's word. It's without error in any part. It's given for our good and for His glory. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come this morning and we need You as we open Your Word. For it is sharper than any double-edged sword. May it cut deep this morning. May You convict us this morning. May You remind us of Your goodness, of Your steadfast love and faithfulness. And so would You use Your Word this morning to instruct us and equip us and to encourage us to pursue after the righteousness of Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. So if you're familiar with the the book of Nehemiah, um, you'll know that this is a book about a rebuilding, that Nehemiah and and the Israelites, they're still in exile, and they're in the Persian capital, and Nehemiah gets sent on a mission. And his mission is to rebuild the wall, to rebuild Jerusalem, and to repopulate the homeland. And they're there and they're, they're, they're doing that and they, they get to the point where the wall's about to be completed and they're going to dedicate and everything and they, they find the word of the Lord. In chapter 8, Ezra reads God's word to God's people and it does what God's word does to us often. It cuts them, it convicts them and they, they cover themselves in ashes and put on sackcloths. And then chapter 9 that we read the final verse of is all about their, their predicaments. You know, this, this starts with because of all of this. 9.38 says, because of all of this, and then it says that they, they make this firm covenant in writing. Well, because of all of what? Well, it's because of all of this stuff in chapter 9. Chapter 9 is a, is a telling of, of the story of God's people, of God's faithfulness to His people. It continues from the, the, the very beginning. Beginning in verse 6, it says, You are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God, who chose Abram. And so then it begins. So it's God, you are the creator God. You're, you're the preserver of all things, God. And then it just begins to, to mark down them. Verses six to eight are the story of him calling Abram and, and giving him a new name and calling him to be uh, the father of his people. And, and nine to 15 is the story of the Exodus and God's faithfulness there. And, and then 16 to 21, their rebellion in the wilderness and how God is still merciful and steadfast in his love towards his people. 22 to 25 are the conquest of, of Joshua and the new and the land that, that they have been promised and then 26 to, to 31 is that the, the, the telling of the wash, rinse, and repeat of the book of Judges that God saves His people. His people uh, rebel and forget Him and, and, and wander off into sin to, to cry out. And again and again, He answers. And then it gets to the, the last few verses there before our verse. Verses 32 to 37, it's their, their current predicament. So, so God, you've been faithful to your people. You've, you've, you've loved your people. You've been steadfast and merciful and gracious and kind and all these wonderful things throughout the, the history of your people. And now we're, we're, in a, we're in a situation again. 
But because you're faithful, because you're loving, because you're steadfast in your kindness, because you show up again and again and again in the story of your people, we respond. And that's the mission of God's people. Living in response to God's grace. Living in response to God's faithfulness. Living in response to God's love and mercy. And so this morning we, we have this passage that lays out for us this proper response. And, and really it, it fits you know, the, old, the old classic of sign sealed delivered. Because it says that they, it's this covenant in writing. And they've signed it. All their names are on it. And we know that, that that's, that's important. When, when, we, when we see something or somebody makes a promise to us and we maybe don't trust their word, we say things like, well, put it in writing. Put it in writing. Because there's something about somebody writing something out and signing it that has more weight than just their, their verbal agreement. You ever had that happen? Somebody agrees to something and then you show up and they're like, no, nah, that's not what I said. Happened to me a couple weeks ago. I was with a friend. We, we went off to to buy a, a dog in West Virginia. Why you travel that far to buy a dog? There's dogs over everywhere, but it was supposedly a good dog. We drove there and, and we were told the dog was gonna be this much and we got there and the price had doubled. But now you're four hours away, you're gonna pay it. I mean, it's the classic bait and switch. We paid it and we, we, it was fine. It was still much cheaper than all the other dogs we could have driven to get that day. But it was, there's something about somebody putting their name in it that, that shows it's a firm commitment. I want to see that in writing. It lends its seriousness to the matter. But not just that. We, we skipped over um, about, oh, I don't know, 80 names, right? There's 82 of them, I think, total. And we read two of them. We, we, we read Nehemiah, who was the son of somebody, and then we read Zedekiah, and then we, we didn't want to hear me suffer through that list of names. But they're representative of all of God's people and the people who have separated themselves from the people of the land to the people of the law, and their names matter because names give something credence. You, when, when somebody puts their name to something, you can come back to them and say, no, so-and-so is the one who said that. Right? You ever been on the line with customer service and somebody says, oh, no, we'll credit your bill for that. Don't worry about it. And you don't take down their name and the time of the call, and then when you call back, they're like, they didn't have the authority to do that. We can't do that for you. But if you get Jimbo's name... When you call back and say, no, Jimbo said it was going to happen. You can go, you know, it said the call was recorded for you know, customer you know, satisfaction or whatever. I want you to go back and listen to it. And they can go back and listen because you got the name and the time. And they can see, I oh, know Jimbo did say that. We got to honor it. There's something about a name that, that, that makes something stand more. We know this. You've been to a wedding. It, it, it's not, you know, hey, do you take her and do you, do you take him? At least not at my wedding, it was, you know, I, I, I Marty, take you, Meredith. The names were spelled out for all to hear. Though not always, because sometimes you don't mic the, the bride and the groom, so you, and they don't talk loud enough for everybody to hear it. But you know who you're there to, to see get married. But it doesn't just stop with their names. It doesn't just stop with their, their signatures. It, it, it keeps going. It says that there's a seal, and we, we know that from the ceremonies that we go to, right? I mean, you can forge a signature. Have you ever tried to forge a signature? Some of you are smiling because you, like me, have, have tried. We had progress reports when I was in school. They came before report cards, and I was really good from progress reports to report cards. Progress reports, I'd come home, I might have a C on one, but I knew last, last few weeks of the grading period, we got a test, a quiz, and a project, 
easy A, I don't need to worry about it. There was one progress report that was the worst of my life. And I had, I had two grade letters that were acceptable grades in my house. A's were acceptable and, and, and B's were adequate to not get in trouble. After that, there was hard conversations, hard conversations. And my progress report had lots of really hard conversation markers on it. <laughs> and I found my mom's signature and I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and I chickened out. I couldn't do it. My mom has impeccable handwriting. And if you've ever seen my handwriting, you know that it is far from impeccable. So even tracing her name through a piece of paper, it was blatantly obvious this was not her signature. It was like shaky and hers just beautifully smooth. I, I, I was like, it's far worse to get caught doing this than just to give, give in and get yelled at and deal with the consequences for the next three weeks of my life. But it's easier to forge just a signature. That's why we have seals. And you put a seal on something, you stamp that, that hot wax with the seal, it's, that's a lot more difficult for someone to forge. The great seal of the Commonwealth of Virginia, the great seal of the United States, when that gets pulled out, you know that it is something that is serious. At, 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 a, at a wedding ceremony, they, 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 you, know, you state your names, you get married, and then you say, what, hey, what do you have? What tokens do you bring? Well, I brought this, Meredith brought this, this ring, and I brought her one. And it's a sign to everybody that we're married, but it's a seal. When I put this on, I'm hers. And she is mine. And she gets to wake up every day and go, man, I'm the luckiest woman in the world. <laughs> Be married to that guy. Shh, Meredith, shh. <laughs> it has a specific date and time. It, it even goes as far to say that, there is, that there's curses involved in this. So as they're responding to God's grace, they're saying, we're making covenant with you now, God. And we're making it so serious, we're putting our names on it. We're given a date and a time at the beginning of chapter um, nine of when this happens, the 24th day of this month. Whatever month that was, I don't know which month it is, but that month, the 24th day. So they have a date and a time. They have the names, they have the seal that says we are responding now to your grace, God. And how are we responding well, they have this, this list of things now, these obligations of the covenant that they have now made. And it's this, these obligations that are first general obligations, right? It says that they're going to keep the law that was given by Moses and observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. And then it starts to break it down and get more specific. And we, we, we know this. You, if you've, you've been to a, a wedding, you've heard him say, you know, for richer, for poorer, for, for, you know, in sickness and in health till death do you part. And those are the general things. But if you're married, you know that there are things that weren't mentioned in your wedding ceremony that were part of that covenant of marriage. You know, I love to, to hunt and to fish. And that means that when I, when I am, you know, blessed with a, a kill in the field or catching a fish that I got to take it home and I got to clean it and prepare it and get it ready to cook. And I knew getting married that Meredith was never going to clean a fish or skin a deer or you know, pluck the feathers out of a turkey or anything else like that. That wasn't going to happen. There was an unspoken, very specific obligation of our marriage. There's an obligation she would mow the lawn, and now she does occasionally, and I think she secretly likes it. It's <laughs> wonderful. But there are those, those things that we know are part of a relationship. And if, if you're not a Christian, you're reading this, and you're going, man, this is like really specific stuff to Christians. You have these kind of things in, in your relationships with others too. The, the things in life that demand our worship, the things in life that, that, that call to us, that we give ourselves to, there are parts of that relationship that demand 
obligations. And that's part of, of responding to God's grace is there are obligations. Living in, in, in the covenant of God's grace should elicit from us things. So let's, let's look at the things that elicited from God's people there, the specific ones. It, it says that, that first that they're going to um, not give their daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Now this is a, a used often as an argument against interracial marriage. I'll tell you that that's a misuse of this verse because this isn't an ethnic thing. Earlier in this, this chapter, it says that, this, that those who are, are signing this, says the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters. So it's those who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God. Well, that would mean that there's some who haven't separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God. Some of those who've, who've returned from exile with Nehemiah to rebuild who have said, no, we, we kind of like it over here and we're going to stay over here. And this covenant saying, we're not going to allow our daughters to marry into that group. It's a religious thing. It continues on in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians, right? That not to be unequally yoked. That, that we're, we're called as, as Christians to, to marry Christians. That makes sense. So it changes when we respond to God's grace, it changes relationships. It, it changes how, how we view relationships. Not only that, it changes how we, how we think about the Sabbath or about commerce. It says, if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. We'll forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. How we think about commerce changes. Now, we don't have people showing up here, I don't think, you know, I don't see anybody outside right now with grain or anything like that to sell to us on our way out today. But we, we, we understand the importance of the Sabbath. And it's not just an importance that, that Christians feel, the need for rest. I mean, the Great Resignation is an entire movement based on the need for rest. Well, no, it's based on, on, on a better need for, for work-life balance. Well, you wouldn't need better work-life balance if you had rest. I mean, culture feels the weight of this, the, the need for rest. And the promise of rest given to us in Scripture is far greater than just a nap. It's far greater. It's not just rest from, from the physical things. It's rest from the spiritual things. It's, it's the rest that's promised in Christ when he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. It's resting from the work of proving ourselves day in and day out. And so they say here that, that they're going to take that rest, that they're going to treat the Sabbath with, with specialness, that not, not just buying and selling, but how they treat the land. They're going to forego the crops of the seventh year because they understand that the fields need rest. They're going to forego the exaction of, of debt in that time. It doesn't say they're going to forgive it. It says they're going to forego the exaction of every debt that year. Take a break from paying us. We don't want to break you. As the people of God, we're called to be distinct and different and how we handle money and think about money should change when we're on mission as God's people. And then it keeps going. We're not going to read all 32 to the, to the end, but, but what it's laying out for us is that they're not going to neglect the proper worship of God. 
and that everyone has a part in the proper worship of God, right? I mean, it starts out, we, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make appointment, atonement for Israel, and for all the work of the house of our God. And then in 34, it says, and we, the priest, the Levites, the people, have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as is written in the law. So all the people cast lots and said, hey, it's, it's your week to show up with the, the wood so we can have the fire at the altar so we can, we can have the burnt offerings that we need to have. Well, next week it's your week. Don't forget, it's collectively being all in together. Collectively as God's people being all in together, not neglecting proper worship. And so as we respond to God's grace, what is our role in the proper worship of God? How, how are you fulfilling that? In the proper worship of God. What role are you playing? The first fruits, the best of the best will be for the Lord. And it names all the things that will be the first. And then there's the tithes that they'll bring in for the funding of the, the worship of God. See, these obligations they take on themselves, the vast majority of this, these obligations are all about the worship of God. As God's people, that's our mission. As we respond properly to God's grace, it is to respond in worship. And that at times will mean going. And that at times will mean bringing wood for the altar. At times it, it will mean standing up and instead of one another to call one another back to covenant faithfulness. But here's the thing, if you stick with the signed, sealed, delivered theme, they don't deliver on this very well. I mean, by the end of Nehemiah, they have already begun to fail at the things they, they made covenant to do before God. Just like you and I. Man, I missed my quiet time this morning. I'm going to try harder tomorrow. How many times I said that, to, said that to myself when I was in college? Every morning. I'll be better tomorrow. I won't be as tired tomorrow. I'll go to bed early. We fail again and again and again to keep up the proper response to God's grace. But there's one who didn't. And it's in him that we make covenant now. United to Christ, who says this, this cup given in my blood is the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. That's the covenant, folks, that we are called to, to live in response to, that we are called to, to live out of this covenant of grace. And so those good works that have been, have been prepared for us beforehand are a grace of God. They are a gift of God for us to walk in because proper response to God's grace is bearing the fruits of repentance, as John says. Because that's what's happening here. They've, they've, they've confessed, they've had the heart change of repentance, and now these are the fruits of repentance. And so the mission of God's people is to live out of that grace, bearing the fruits of repentance. Where are you bearing fruit? Where am I bearing fruit? 
And the good news is that we don't have to worry about the mission being complete because it's already been completed. Christ says it is finished. So let us rest in that. Let us be on mission together, resting in the work that has been finished for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning rejoicing the mission you have called us to, a mission that has been won, a mission that has been finished. Lord, may we live in that joy. May we rest in that hope that all the world may see that we bear the fruits of repentance and that we, your people, are distinct and we make much about worshiping you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.